Thanks to everyone who supported the show this week via Patreon, including Mick Cowans, Ian Mercer, Alistair Harding, Ian Wilkinson, Matt Lacey, Illico Elia, Roland Roberts, and Jamie Holland. If you'd like to support the show, you can do so from $1 per episode. Go to 361podcast.com forward slash support. I had to take my bread back to the um, yeah. I had to take my bread back to the shop and get it replaced. It was uh, superseded. Uh, yeah, very good. Right, how many minutes more have we got? This <laughs> now, come on then, guys, come on. You've obviously got a lot more stored up here. Come on, just get them out so we can get on with it. The cheese factory exploded in France. Debris is everywhere. Uh-huh. <laughs> I was talking to a colleague and I said uh, I was asking her, "Do you have any children?" And she said, "Yeah, I've uh, one that's just under two. I said, "I know how many one is." <laughs> You know that Mark stole my dictionary, right? Okay. I explained, Mark, my words. Oh, great. All right. Never mind. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Sorry. I'm just taking a while to catch up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Hello and welcome to 361, a podcast about mobile tech and the world around it. My name's Rafe Blanford. I'm Ben Smith. And I'm Ewan McLeod. This is Season 20, Episode 9, and this week we're recapping topics from earlier in the season, touching on smart home security, 15-minute delivery, and Sky's new glass TV. Right, chaps, how are you doing? Very well, thank you, Ben. How about you, Ewan? Mm, yep, rocking. Hello, how's it going? <laughs> it's a high energy evening this evening. Yeah, it is. Yep, very exciting. And Ben? Yes, yeah, not too bad. We've had many, many weeks off. Family stuff has got in the way for me, and I don't know, Rafe. Did they didn't let you out of the office or something? So it's been a long break since we last recorded. But you're both looking well, gentlemen. Wait a minute, wait a minute. A natural disaster got in the way for me. <sighs> An actual natural disaster. Yeah, yeah, whatever. He always has to go one better, doesn't he? He does. Go on, tell us about your natural disaster in thirty wait, seconds or less. There was a cyclone, Shashin, recently. I was evacuated. <laughs> well, you do get nervous. The family we were evacuated. We had to go away from the villa. No, sorry, that didn't hit Muscat. You were you. It's a wuss. Like you, you didn't need to evacuate. It's like hit 150 miles up the coast. That's correct. But it was a very big cyclone, <laughs> which, by the way, I looked up and defined uh, also is a hurricane. So well, yes, have you been through a hurricane? Hmm? Hmm? Yes. Have you? 1987. All right. Okay. Anyways, you had a natural disaster. Anyway, we had a natural disaster. There was quite a lot of damage done, and the, the government has been responding very swiftly. And and uh, well, everyone, all of us have been busy helping and contributing. Right. So that's one of the reasons I couldn't record last week. So what have you been doing, Yeren? As excuses go, it's not a bad one. But yes, I am amused with the idea that you've been helping. What? I had this vision of you outside of the broom, you know, sweeping up or something. Or maybe just in a more managerial role, telling other people where they should go and sweep up the debris. No, 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 no. It's been a bank-wide collective. I think there's a bake sale tomorrow, actually. Bake sale. Yeah, all sorts of activities you know, to, to make sure. And because it, there's, your livelihoods have been lost. In many cases. And, and well, look, lives have been lost as well. Right. Well, we won't joke about which that. Which is yeah, deeply unfortunate. But the authorities were very good and very quick. And uh, there's lots of work still going on to recover. I think we're all very fortunate here in Muscat that it didn't hit directly. Yeah. And as if those people haven't suffered enough, now they have to eat one of your cakes. Well, you know, I'm hoping there'll be good cakes and raise some good money. Yeah. 
Yeah, so there you go. Natural disaster here. What about you guys? The closest Brave looks like he's coming to a natural disaster is the Triffids in the background will finally reach the desk. They've been growing throughout the season closer and closer. But uh, is there any excitement with you, Rafe Blanford? Well, I think it's the fact that after 18 months of being fairly locked down, things have started to open up a bit since the last time I recorded this and three days a week in the office and things like that. Oof, oof. But also cinema, James Bond. Oh, yeah. That was quite exciting. So, Did you enjoy that? I did. It was all a dream. Who knew? Yeah. My little joke there. Nothing else that I'm willing to share with our adoring listeners. Well, not so adoring listeners, to be honest, after a break like we've just had. But anyway, uh, yes, yeah, so all good. What about you, Ben? What's exciting in your life? You've been on a plane. Uh, yes, I think since we last mm. spoke, I've been on a plane to Ireland and back again. My work isn't returning to an office so much. We're going to stay remote, but things have started to sort of bed in to make that normal now so we're starting to get you know sort of a, a new pattern for what might be a shape of kind of hybrid working potentially and I know, I know lots of people are dealing with that so we might touch on that later as a bit of a theme but yes it's strange because we're both sort of still being super cautious but things are opening up in the UK albeit at the moment there's been some fairly catastrophic coverage in the last couple of days sort of as the various inquiries and reviews start the uh, the bad news has started to flood in in terms of uh, how well or not the UK handled it. So uh, mm, mm. we can we can compare notes on a future episode, Ewan, right. where you feel you would have done better. <laughs> Anyways, so this is episode nine of 10 for this season, albeit mm. we are well out of our recording schedule now. So I'm just going to make the best of it. And we are getting close to Christmas. So episode 10 is going to be a Christmas special gift guide ideas, that kind of thing in the preparations for Christmas. Uh, we've had at least uh, a barrage of one email from people asking are we going to have any recommendations for Christmas gifts? So uh, steal yourself, the answer is yes. This year, mm. in an exciting change from all previous years, we've decided to issue that advice inadequate time for you to avail of it and actually buy things rather than Christmas Eve, which always feels a little bit late to be issuing your uh, Christmas gift guide, which I we did in previous True. years. But can we go back to, can we do a reef, you know, Blanford Manor Christmas thing again? Sausage rolls, Blanford, sausage rolls. Don't want to spoil the surprise, but Rafe's face says social distancing to me. I don't know how, I don't oh, know how it looks no, to you really? over, the, over the Zoom. Anyways, so okay. for this episode, what we're going to do is use episode nine to do a bit of recap of all the stuff we mm. covered this season. Uh, enough time has passed that there has been some meaningful uh, change. And we ought to kick off actually with an email, a listener email. I know I'm very excited okay. to have a listener email because, I mean, sometimes they write in, but it's normally just a barrage of abuse for Rafe or indeed telling me that I got my facts wrong, which, you know, it happens, but it happens right. to the best of us. <laughs> but but it's, it's not, not entirely guaranteed to get you on air, as it were. It's not someone having a go at me about 5G. Uh, no. Kieran wrote in, thank you, Kieran. By the time this goes out, I will have done you the service of a decent reply. But Kieran wrote in, and he was asking about Curve Card. Now, right. we didn't cover it this season, but we did uh, in previous seasons. Curve Card. This is the British fintech. They have a product that, allows you to use their payment card and then route that transaction to any of the other cards that you have loaded up into their app. So you could divert transactions to bank accounts, credit cards, payment cards, those sorts of things. And it has two purposes as far as I can tell, although I think, Rafe, I know you have been a Curve user in the past. One is it allows you to carry fewer cards because you can just have the one card in your wallet and choose whether that's routing to a credit card or a debit card. And the other thing is the ability to retrospectively change it. So you might pay for something on a debit card and then think, ah, I wish I'd put that on a credit or a borrowing agreement, or I wish I'd used a credit card that gave me points. 
and so retrospectively move that transaction over to the credit card. There are other features as well, but those are sort of the headlines. So far, so interesting. Fintech enthusiasts will recall that Amex have blocked them and and they had a a bit of a a tumultuous relaunch. Actually, that's when I stopped being a customer because I really wanted the ability to use my American Express cards through the service and they had promised it and then it didn't work. But Rafe, creation credit cards, who are like a sort of a, a financial services supplier to loads of businesses that typically want to tie you in with loyalty deals. So uh, the example I can recall from the article was hotels that issue credit cards in their names and give you points that you can spend, like loyalty points. So creation credit cards are a service provider and they have blocked curve because they claim that people were using it to manufacture spend. So Rafe, in the interest of me stopping talking before we move on to this, can you just touch on what manufactured spend would be? and why yeah. creation might be irritated by that. It's also known as cash recycling. And essentially, people using their credit cards that Curve covers to pay into a savings account, and they will earn points in the process. And in some cases, it can be cash back as well. But then they use that same kind of savings account they've been paying into to pay off the credit card balances. But obviously, they keep the points or any rewards. And so it's kind of artificial oh. spending. And not unreasonably, creation and others have kind of objected to this process because they're effectively having to fund this without there being any spend or thing into the retailers where they get the transaction fees and everything else. Mm -hmm. And so clearly people have complained about this and there's been all over the Curve forums, but you really can't argue with this one. It's just not a fair thing to do. Kieran was asking for our opinion and he was saying that he's affected by this because He was a creation customer. He points out that IHG and Marriott Hotels were both providers that used creation cards. So if you're a business traveler, it's the sort of card you might have to benefit from extra points on uh, sort of corporate travel and that kind of stuff. But he says he's affected because he's been told, you know, sort of he's banned effectively from having that product now because he connected to his Curve card. But he says because they didn't offer Apple Pay, it was a really handy way to get to it. convenient yeah, yeah, payment. Yeah. So whilst some people have been doing cash recycling, there was a legitimate way to use the service as well, Rafe. Absolutely. It's worth saying that the people who've been banned aren't necessarily doing this cash recycling. It's just a prospect that they could, and presumably there have been a few bad actors in this. But yes, and there's a few cards where they're not available on Apple Pay or Samsung Pay, and people have been using that as a way to get on, I suspect, against some terms and conditions. But there's just been kind of a blanket ban on people of these creation cards. Anyone who's connected it is going, well, it might happen. And again, you can kind of understand it, but much as Curve had with Amex, which is one of the issues for you, Ben, they've just gone, yeah, no, we don't want to partner with you. And I suspect partly not enough scale. And for people who are paying the £15 a month, which is the premium service that Curve offers, and you also get travel insurance and a few other perks with that, it's kind of just not worth it. And it breaks. If you can't use all your cards, the whole point of only carrying one card kind of goes away. Yeah, I fell out of love with it because it wouldn't work with Amex and because I lost a bit of faith in the company doing what it said. And I mean, Kieran's question is pretty open-ended, you, and he says, you know, what do you think about it? I mean... Mm. You're going to try carefully because you work in this sector, so I know you're going to want to choose your words carefully. But would it put you off, you know, knowing that there's a whole bunch of products that you can't now add to Curve, even if you don't happen to know what they are off the top of your head? Does that make the product less appealing to you? I think it's going to give some hesitation to some, and I think it's it is unfortunate that it's a consumer that gets penalised. Right, that's unfortunate. 
and not knowingly, you know, none of this was deliberate as far as I can understand. Oh, you at least from Kieran's standpoint. So yes. I think it's unfortunate that he he is therefore having to deal with that experience. I can understand the creation point of view as well, because that's not what it's for. You're meant to spend the money and, and so on and so on. And the whole model is based on you spending the money you know, correctly. Yes, because yeah. these points are not free. They give you yeah. stays in hotels and they're paid for by using the credit cards. I'm doing my bunny ears properly here. Right, right, exactly. I, I think that's, that's deeply unfortunate. But I can see why Kieran was doing it, right? Because these guys haven't got with the program, yeah. you know, to offer Apple and, Pay, yeah, and just offer offer these kind of, but then to offer Apple Pay, there is a, an additional cost, you know, required, and so on and so on to to get the cars compatible with the, the, those kind of services. It's just unfortunate, I think, and yeah, I think Curve is trying; they're trying their best here. You know, they are working hard. I think they were hit hard by the Amex issue. Yeah, you say that, Ewan, but maybe this question for Ben, having used it, it does feel like Curve in particular are playing a bit fast and loose with the way things are supposed to work. And I kind of regret saying it because I like disruptive and new ways of doing things. But there are a lot of people in the fintech space. And some of these things that has happened are entirely predictable. And Curve has played the kind of David versus Goliath thing in trying to kind of seem as it's fighting for consumers. But is this not a bit around the edges of what's permissible? That's what I was curious, actually. I'll come back to you, Ewan, because you know the rights and wrongs of this space from the banking board better. But from my perspective, Curve, uh, yes, fast and loose is perhaps the good way to describe it, Rafe, because these products didn't allow cash withdrawals as a reward earning activity. And so that any product that masks that knowingly is deliberately trying to, you know, sort of uh, to game the system. And it feels to me a little bit like Curve has taken a misstep here because rather than being a convenience product, they're trying to allow people in some cases to bypass the restrictions that exist that might be frustrating for the consumer, but they exist because the commercial model, you know, the freebies, the mm, points, mm. the rewards, they only work if you're actually making genuine spend. You know, those interchange fees that would be paying for them don't come from, you know, right. cash withdrawal. So it's not a case of people being tight. It's a case of this was a reward for making genuine spend. Mm. And I think the thing is that when it happens once, you know, when they connected to Amex and then were cut off for breaching the terms and conditions and not following the rules correctly, you say, ah, that's a really keen startup you know, making noise early on. And then it happens again. And then it happens again. And I, I think for me, personally, I'm out. You know, I, I'm not using Curve anymore for two reasons. One is that I've lost trust, because even if I behave reasonably as a customer, I could lose access to my products because lack of care on Curve's part means other people can do bad stuff. I realise that's a few hops, but effectively, Kieran's lost access to cards he wants to use through no abuse of his own. And secondly, that it feels to me like Curve have overpromised a bit that by not being straight up with their customers about the restrictions and the rules about payments and the regulations and the, the terms and conditions that exist between businesses, that they're not to be ridden roughshod over and might be frustrating. They're often there for a reason. And actually, lastly, Ewan, mm. I got Apple Pay. <laughs> if I want to have the convenience of one payment mechanism now, I just pick products that are on Apple Pay because I'm going to have to choose based on what connects to what anyway. If I go with the curve route, I might as well pick products that work on Apple Pay or any other payment provider. Right. Says the Apple fan. You know, <laughs> and I don't think there is a bigger fan than, than Mr. Smith here. No, no, yeah, I understand, I understand your approach. But if you were yeah. a Google Pay customer, the same holds. It's more a case of that yeah. is integrated yeah. with the banks. It's designed yes. to be compliant. It's designed to be complementary. And if mm. a provider doesn't offer it, my way to get them to notice is to not be a customer. 
not yes, to right. hack my way into their product. Okay, I see that. And I was going to say, especially now that you've got the phone-based kind of basically, there are no limits on the contactless payments if you're using Apple Pay or Google mm. Pay. Like, it replaces that for everything and you can select which card you want to use very easily should you wish to do so. And you don't have the time travel thing, but most of what made it unique is kind of being replicated just by what's built into the platforms. Yeah. Quick fintech thing. I've just become a customer of Chase here in the UK. JP Morgan's launched the Chase brand. Uh, I got the link. Yeah. But then read the terms and conditions because you have to be a UK resident. You do. And you're not, Tut. UK taxpayer, actually. Yeah. It very explicitly said that. I've started banking with Chase. I'm just trying it out at the moment. I haven't right. left. My, my, my love for Monzo persists. But one of the things that they've got, which is a really nice feature, is a completely numberless card. So there's no... Mm. Mm. number details on the card at all you've got to look it up inside the app that's incredibly convenient because yeah. nine times out of ten i don't have my card handy i do have my phone when i'm doing online yes. transactions yes and it's great because it means i can get new card issued to me immediately you know they, i can cancel and, and get a new card yeah, you know, sort exactly. of on the phone yes yes that's really good monzo does offer virtual cards and it does mm. i believe allow you to see your card details in the app but it does, yes. I think that there are some times that I've needed to go and reach for my cards to go and get the CVC, you know, the little three-digit number. No, you can get that in the app as well. Okay. Yeah. But certainly, because it's printed on the card, if your card details are compromised, you do need it reissued. Right. So that was an, one more step that was really nice. So I really liked that. Trying it out, let you know. So Chase at the moment, I would say, is in customer acquisition mode. They are giving away kind of good cashback, good deals, no fees. Mm. It's all jam at the moment, but it's clearly just spending JP Morgan's money. But just thought I'd mention, tried that, and yeah, so far so good. Quite nice. I've signed up as well, and it's very basic, the app. And yes. There's still features coming. Before you go on to your second fintech one, actually, there's one that's worth mentioning that Curve has had for a while, but it's sort of representative doing something a bit differently, and it's Curve Flex, and it uses open banking to see what you've paid on various accounts and cards. And you can go back and see the bigger payments you've made. And then you can, what they call, swipe on it, split it and flex it. And what that means is they will effectively pay you back that payment and then split the cost of it over 12 months. So Mm. it's kind of like payday loan type things, but based on things you've already bought. And it seems a bit niche and specialist to me. But the fact that you're seeing those kind of services pop up on the top of open banking and there are others, and it's much more common now to see these fintech apps kind of build in access to your Barclays, Lloyds, whatever it happens to be Mm, account. mm. You know, we've been talking about that and we've talked about it in the concept of fintech for a while, but those kind of additional services on the top and some of them are building into things like Klarna and everything else is interesting to me. So having Mm. been mean about Curve, I'm also going, they're continuing to try different things. So props for that. Yeah, it's interesting that uh, Curve and Monzo both launched a buy now, pay later product called Flex within about two days of each other. I assume that's just <laughs> unimaginative branding. But actually, to try and wildly claw my way back to Kieran's question, actually, I have reservations about buy now, pay later schemes because they have been criticised by people that know what they're talking about for helping people to get into unmanageable debt. They are useful in some cases, but because the person lending to you is also your bank in many cases, they also mean that when things go wrong, they go really wrong. So, you know, I think it requires some caution. And back to that, who do I have confidence in? Well, actually, based on their values and behaviours, I have greater confidence in Monzo to do the right thing in terms of, you know, looking out for the customer than I do for Curve. And that's no slight on Curve. That's just 
two times I've seen curve customers be hit by, you know, kind of not doing the right things. And I've not experienced that with Monzo. So I think there comes a point with these things where confidence actually really is, you know, a very, very important factor in who you get these products with. Because as Rafe says, Klarna, like buy now, pay later, is a good way for these companies to make money, particularly Mm. when quite a lot of them need it. You've got to make money somehow. Yeah, exactly. So Kieran, that was entirely an inadequate answer to your question, but thank you for writing it in. And also thank you for having listened for long enough to remember the episode where we were talking about Curve and thinking to ask our opinions. Yeah, really cool. We will mention it in the future if there's any meaningful change. Okay, enough talking by me, Ewan McLeod. Next Mm. thing in here, it says smart home security. You wrote this. So why don't you recap where we are on smart home security? Well, I think we should be talking about the new thing from Amazon. Now, I don't mean the Ring drone, which, uh, you know, the little drone that kind of pops up and flies around. It's okay. nearly shipping. It's nearly yes, shipping. Nearly it's shipping. also nearly are you, Christmas. But are you, are you getting one? If they launch it in the UK, I think I would, yes. But we'll talk yeah, about yeah, that yeah. in a minute. Okay, Go on. Right. What are you excited about? I am particularly excited about Amazon Astro. The slew of announcements that came just the other, the other week when Amazon did their, here's what we're playing with this quarter, and announced all these different devices. The one that caught my attention the most was Amazon Astro, which is a household robot for home monitoring with Alexa. Classic Yuma Cloud product, all sparkle, no content, just attracted by a shiny demo video. Well, I, but isn't this, guys, isn't this the first time we've actually seen a, oh, I, I hesitate to say usable, <laughs> usable, a robot you know, deployed by a big billion dollar company. No, it's bloody not. Come on, you've, come you've on. I'm thinking of the, the moot. You've what, got one what? on the floor behind you. Right. No, wait a minute, wait a minute. No, but th- that doesn't have a nice little screen with little eyes that wink at you and things, right? And doesn't talk to you. Okay. For clarity, I'm talking about Ewan's uh, robot vacuum cleaner. Exactly. Yes. And you and Rafe and I all have robot vacuum cleaners that are all have advanced features. Mm. You know, beyond just cleaning is what I'm not being quite as flippant. Right, but say. this is a little device on wheels with a screen. Uh, it's basically imagine an Echo Show, right, on top of attached to two shoeboxes, a, a little radio controlled car. Basically, you can drive it around, or it will follow you around, and it will navigate around your house to bring you peace of mind, right? So you can actually you can use its little telescopic camera to look around your house when you're away. That's cool. Did I leave the gas on? That's one of the examples in the video. I think that's cool. You can actually drive the little robot, your little Astro, to the kitchen, and you can have the telescopic camera thing pop up, and you can say, ah, no, I didn't leave the gas on, you know, in the cooker, right? Really cool. Now, for people who haven't seen the device, you're right, it does look like an old-fashioned remote control car, or maybe... Something like that, yeah. yeah. Actually, when when I first looked at it, I thought about those kind of, what, science fiction programs of the 80s, you know, sort of showed what robots the future would look like, sort of big yes. wheels and a face on a screen. But what you're talking about is there's a periscope yes. and it has a pole that I think goes up to several metres tall with a camera on the end, right. which allows you to sort of lift a camera up to look at things, you know, look on top of a table or look at a yes. stove or something like that. And to be fair, that actually does look quite useful because I get the, I want to see what's going on in my house when I'm not there. I get that. Yes. Yeah, I think that's really, really cool. So if you go to the Amazon website, type in Astro, you'll see all the different use cases that they're suggesting. So that, you know, one of the most popular is going to the kitchen, checking that the oven is off. Um, there's you know, real-time home monitoring alerts. So the thing will you know, run around and, come on, Rafe, come on, you want one. Well, for me, all the use cases are something you can do 
better and more cheaply using something else. Oh, come on, then. We'll never get anywhere. I want a faster horse. But that said, I also appreciate Amazon is willing to take these kind of risks and bring highly experimental products effectively to the market, test them, learn from them. And, you know, the Astra is £1,500, so it's going to have a limited run. I think they're using the Amazon day one program to bring a lot of these things Mm. into the market. And actually getting consumer acceptance of robots in the home is a really interesting thing. Like robot vacuum cleaners, I mean, we've sort of become, as uh, Ben likes to say, he's a vacuum influencer. Yeah. I have seen them go a bit more mainstream and the cost has come down. They're totally mainstream now. Yeah. And the idea of assistance in the home and it being able to do things, it's not that far away from it actually being able to act on things. You know, you're doing the home security things now. It's kind of cute mm. and anthropomorphic, but I can't see we're that far away from it then being able to act on things. And, you know, turn the oven on is a bit throwaway. And it positions Amazon as quite an innovative and forward looking company, which I think mm-hmm. is quite good given the brand and marketing challenges it's having at the moment and so you know we're talking about amazon in a way we wouldn't do before there were a bunch of other things there's you know the next version of their health band but the one that kind of caught my attention was the amazon glow which is a downward firing projector which creates an interactive touchscreen that you can play on during video calls and i think you know it's going to have a lower cost it's not quite clear exactly what that'll be in the uk but they are leveraging all of the content that comes on the Amazon tablets that is family friendly. And, you know, video calls are a thing that grandparents do with their grandchildren all the time. It's a really big thing. So the idea of being able to play a game and be a bit more interactive, I actually think that's probably the one that I look at and go, yeah, I can see that being a bit of a success. Mm. So again, if you've not seen it, Amazon Glow is like the Osmo product that we recommended for yes. uh, children in the past. And it's effectively a tablet that stands upright with a camera that points down to the table in front. And by putting a game sheet or a playing board in front of the camera, it allows the person on the other end either to see it or for the app to see what the child has put in front of the camera mm. and to mm. manipulate real objects to play the game. And in that regard, actually... Rafe, I think this is a nice idea, but this is lacking a bit of ambition because I think the Amazon's Fire tablets could be rigged up to have this feature already. I don't really understand why it needs a separate device. But I just wanted to go back to your the Astro Mm. piece, Ewan, because I'm not dismissing it because there aren't potentially ways that it could be interesting or good. But I think that looking back at the Echo product line, I think one of the things that Amazon's done really well is to price things just cheap enough they're fun to try. There's a yeah. sort of lower early adopter cost. Lots of people got Echoes because they were smart speakers. And then because they went in the kitchen, people use them as timers and to check the weather and those sorts of things. And you get that growth where the product finds its own direction incrementally. And now you and I are spending a couple of hundred pounds on the high-end show devices because our usage has grown and flexed and, and now justified. we're doing smart home. But also Amazon have brought customers along the way. And I think what's strange is that I can absolutely understand cameras and security and maybe even just sort of presence in the home. And for me, that's why I think the Ring drone is so interesting. It's Lots of people have said, oh, it's dystopian. But actually, it's cool. Well, when, when my burger alarm goes off and it's telling me there's somebody in my house and I'm not there, I ring a friend who lives nearby to go inside my house and to have a look around to make sure it's yeah. okay. Because yes. nine times out of 10, it's a false alarm. So to be able to do that, I see the value there and that puts a mobile camera inside my house, which I can control. And then there's the incremental value of, okay, well, I'm not just going to check for burglars. I'm going to check on my pets. Then I'm going to check if the gas is off. Yeah. yeah. 
then I'm going to show people, you know, I bought a new sofa. Do you want to look at my sofa? Look, you know, mm. I'll show you in the app or whatever. But to go all the way to a 1500 pound robot with a telescopic camera on feels like a solution looking for a problem. No, wait, wait, wait. It's $999. Even if it's only a thousand pounds, it feels jarringly tech in search of a problem, which is different to, I think, a lot of what the other things no, that it's not, Amazon's No, 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 no. I don't know. Tech in search of a problem. Come on. Look, on a video call with it, it will follow you around the room. Come on. Around the house. I do actually like the new Echo Show with the turning uh, screen and the follow me feature. No. No. But one of the failings is that if you stand in front of it and try and interact with the screen, so for example, I sometimes turn smart home devices on and off by interacting with the screen by pressing it. It looks at me, and if I move slightly as I'm standing in front of the device, it turns the screen. So as I'm trying to press the screen, it turns the screen in believing that it's trying to keep it level with me. But actually, it's pointing at somebody else perhaps standing behind me or beside me. Right. So it's fine, but the last thing I want is an Amazon device following me around the home. Oh, and crucially, only downstairs, of course, because my ring drone can fly upstairs. Right. Getting upstairs is going to be a problem. It's the Dalek problem all over again. You know, so what happens to the Daleks in phase? Just go upstairs. I, yeah. I showed this to the children and they were astonished. Get one. Get one, Daddy. Freddie liked the fact that you can dance with it. And then Archie liked the fact that you can actually... He said, so, so mummy can say, Astro, take this to Archie. Right, and it'll, you know, you, you put something in the back of it and it will drive it over. It, it has to create a visual idea of what Archie looks like. <laughs> it'll spill drink all the way from your kitchen to your child. Are you not concerned that Astro is going to replace you, Ewan? He hasn't done domestic chores in 15 years. <laughs> so far, all the things you've described to me is like taking something to another member of the family, uh, having a dance party, are things that will going to reduce your amount of time you can spend with your children. Look, okay, right, hold on a minute. There's another use case, which is with elderly relatives, right? So you can actually, what was that iPad on a, on wheels? Do you remember that iPad on wheels thing? Oh, gosh, now you, you've... What was that I, called? I haven't done the research. Yes, it was a, it was a meeting bot, wasn't it? That it it yeah. looked like a Segway. It works like yeah. a Segway because it, had, it was stable. But and it, it was you put an iPad around. on top and... It joined meetings. But if, see, if that was the use case, I would be perhaps a little more open to it because actually well, that is a use case right you can say yeah. you know you can actually go and visit your parents right with this little screen but only with oh. a camera because your face is down at knee level right okay well hold on a minute you know we're just trying here right this mm. so it's a bit like irobot the movie right where everybody has a, a robot in their house i think this is exciting it's a start of something isn't it or is it going to go nowhere well, I, I probably, as with all of these things, Rafe is right, that it's a tester and Amazon will learn and iterate quickly because that's what they've done. Yeah. But I, I think I was always really happy to say, try out new stuff. There's the new Echo Show 15-inch, which looks like one of the picture frame that can mount on the walls. Mm, mm. You know, If you're in the market for those products, they work well, and I don't have hesitation in recommending them at all now, as long as you're content with the privacy compromises that you make. But for the Astro, I'm afraid, for my money, it's a step too far. I look forward to you spending a thousand bucks on it so I can laugh at you. Okay, great. We should move on. Uh, Rafe Bamford, 13 minute delivery we touched on earlier in the episode. And indeed, you did get 15 minute delivery uh, or 16 minute delivery, I think, when we did the show. I presume you've eaten all the ice cream we sent you by now. You wanted to do some follow up. It's now everywhere. It's no longer Rafe's special niche. This is now mainstream London, a waiter shop. Tell us about that, Rafe. Well, what's caught my attention is. You know, okay, working in a digital agency, you are going to get a certain type of person. But more rapidly than I can remember things like Uber and some of the other on-demand services, I've heard people talking about how they've been using this. And there were quite a lot of 
quarantine or lockdown stories saying it meant I could get things. But equally well, it's also been used for getting like fresh vegetables and fruit through the summer, which kind of caught my attention. And a lot of it has been because people have been able to get like special deals where, you know, get £10 off. So actually suddenly the cost thing kind of goes away and it's sort of burning through VC money. But I've used it a couple of times since and again had the 15 minute. So they seem to have sorted out some of the logistics, which was starting to make things a little bit, you know, can't believe I'm saying this, but it was arriving in 45 minutes, not 15 minutes. <gasps> but that time thing does make a difference when you're, oh, I've forgotten this or I don't have this ingredient or whatever. So that adoption rate has definitely gone up and people have been talking about it and you've seen it on Twitter. But there's also amazing how much advertising I've seen in London, on the buses, on the tube, kind of the out-of-home advertising. Partly it's probably caught my attention because having not seen so much of that stuff for a year, it's very obvious that that's picked up and I wonder if they've got decent rates. But honestly, a lot of the adverts, you could replace one brand, Get Ear, with Zap or whatever. Some of them are doing a good job on being distinctive in terms of their branding, but almost as a microcosm of how people have talked about Uber and Lyft in that there are clearly a number of brands racing to establish dominance using VC money. And I just think there is a sense of caution on that because there are now the first signs, and it's been in multiple articles, it's not fresh thinking at all, that Uber's started to put up prices in markets where it's kind of forced out black cabs or where there isn't the competition. Entirely predictable as though you need to kind of claw back some of that VC money Mm. and pricing and things like that and the impact it's had on people's lives. So don't want to diminish from that. But a sign for me that something it has potential is it getting talked about and it becoming in the zeitgeist. And I think Zap and Getir and Gorillas have all kind of reached that point where people talk about it, go, Yeah, I've used it. Oh, it's good. And then we'll list things about the app and it's interesting how often the kind of the local produce or the stuff that you'd have to go out to a specific shop to go and get comes up versus the kind of delivery where you, they've signed up with Sainsbury's and the co-op and others yeah. where it's, it's just standard. So it's interesting. There is also like a bit of a speciality thing starting to come in on Zap and Getir, which it caught my attention at least. Yes, because I'm desperate to find some value for these services that's beyond just it's cheap and fast because that feels like last. the Uber model and it won't, won't last because somebody else is paying for it, you know, with venture capitalist money. But also I think we, you know, we've taken your thoughts on the gig economy and zero hours contracts and what it's like to work one of those kind of jobs as well in the, in mm. the past. And that, you know, that if it's purely run on a cost basis, it may not actually be particularly great for the individuals. But I did wonder, Rafe, to what extent it had become like an aggregator because, you know, actually that is a distinct area of value where, you could sort of do a single shop from multiple shops because that's sort of where supermarkets came from. And if you want to buy just from a supermarket, they can probably equal that kind of service. Or as you said, I think in the original episode, I could just walk downstairs and get it myself. But when it would require lots of places, or I presume they're fulfilling from these dark stores that hold stocks that are a different range of products that would otherwise be in a, in a supermarket. And so, you know, is there a future in shop aggregators? I think there probably is. And they're getting better at the kind of discovery process, you know, the pitches you pick through. And I've just opened up Gorillas, for example, and the London Locals is at the top. And it's, you know, various drinks, beers, but then there's being able to get instant meals, bakery, Hackney Gelato, much beloved by a friend of the show, Illico, and a number of others. And that I do think is interesting. 
because the selection has definitely gone up. It's still obviously not what you'll get from going to a big supermarket, but you can see them tuning the model and the selection all the time. And the apps are also getting more sophisticated. You can see the same kind of behavior driving techniques that they'll, you know, if you buy this, you should also buy this. And I suspect that is another thing. You know, it's the story of big data being used to optimize these kind of products together with a big media spend to push lots of advertising and awareness. And it's a bit frightening how fast these things can get adopted and happen. And we talked about it with kind of TikTok and social, but this is an on-demand service that's gone from like not being very obvious to kind of actually quite present in London's landscape in probably a matter of six months. Mm, yeah. I have no data to back this up, but I think outside of London and places where these services are taking off, food delivery services, be it Deliveroo, Just Eat, or even the supermarket services, feel much more heavily utilised where we are now. And it's much more, as you say, in the zeitgeist, which was it was a sort of a novelty or a, a luxury thing to do to have shopping delivered in the past or seen as the preserve of shopping at some of the more expensive supermarkets. I think that certainly seems to have shifted in people's minds now. And once that change is made, can I have it now? Can I have it more quickly? Is a pretty quick hop because I see people, you know, sort of complaining that, you know, I did my Amazon Prime order and it did come the next day, but it didn't arrive until seven o'clock in the evening. <gasps> you know, like that wasn't the next day. I needed it the next day and the evening the next day isn't good enough. And so, you know, people's expectations quickly recalibrate. I'd be interested to see where that goes. We should move on. We talked about folding phones in the most recent episode and uh, somebody, probably me, dumbly said, oh, it won't take off because Android doesn't have any native support for folding screens and it's always going to be a bespoke implementation for the vendors and that is true today, but within minutes of publishing the episode, of course, Google wanted to prove us wrong. So, Rafe, Android 12.1 has quotes, foldable features baked in. I mean, this is all still very forward-looking stuff, but essentially there's fairly credible evidence now that Google is baking folding features, things that respond to devices changing shape into the operating system, changing the design of some of the Android elements to tailor it better to screens that change shape into 12.1. That feels like then that that's a sign they think it's going to be pretty mainstream, pretty routine, and and it came in tandem with another version of the rumor that said that uh, Google will release their own folding device at some point in the future, presumably the Pixel line. Yeah, that's right. And this is a bit of analysis done by, I think it's XDA developers and kind of referenced in various news stories that essentially someone's gone and had a look at the source code for 12.1. Google haven't talked about this much themselves, but it is kind of new split screen UI and frameworks notifications kind of opening in the split screen window some of the things that kind of were clunky when they didn't work or had to have workarounds so the kind of list of things is still being unveiled and as you say previously it's been dependent on the device manufacturers to do this and samsung has done a pretty good job but that only really works for the built-in applications and the samsung applications when you then get to the third party ones yeah 12.1 doesn't suddenly make all the third party applications support it but it does mean that developers probably have cognizance and awareness of it when they are building against 12.1. And so it'll probably be another year before you see all the you know high-profile or popular apps support this. But it's absolutely a sign that Google thinks it's going mainstream or it's getting a bit more attention because we saw exactly the same thing with other things, you know, um, probably face recognition and before that fingerprint recognition as biometrics. 
went through this same kind of route. Most of the improvements that are being seen in the operating system are around how to make better use of the horizontal screen real estate. So when it's in that kind of fold open mode, and it's things like the notification panel being able to display at the same time rather than taking up the full screen. So it's almost like you are splitting the screen in half and able to utilize the two halves of it and that use of two apps at the same time. Whereas previously, they've kind of behaved like a, a big tablet. And I do actually think given the form factor, and I was quite not dismissive, but said in it kind of fold mode or a flip mode, it kind of made sense. But in the big tablet mode, it was a bit cumbersome because all it was was a big tablet. But these updates are improving that. I think it just reiterates the point we made, though, that so much of the value is driven out of the software, not just the hardware. And if you don't have that seamlessly combined, then it can feel like a pretty rough experience once you get past the kind of defined, expected out of the box, you know, Samsung apps and everything else. Yeah. And we've commented on that positively from an Apple point of view, but Android and Google seem to be able to push those things a bit further and faster, quicker. And it's only fair to say, like, the only place you can get a foldable device is on Android. And this kind of update will probably make it a more pleasant experience using it. Just reaffirms what we said in the conclusion that actually the current set of foldable phones from Samsung are probably the first ones which consider going and buying if you want a foldable device because they have got to the level of maturity, which is acceptable, if not perfect. And there are iterative improvements coming. Talking of more money than sense, you and McLeod, did you buy oh, one? come on, come on. Would I buy a, a, a Z, as one of our, our listeners was commenting? A Z, sorry. I'm going to say Z because that's how they yeah, said it in the product videos. Yeah, but, or a Z, uh, yeah. So you were quite taken with the device that sort of folded in half like the old clamshell flip phones. Yeah. Have you bought one or are you tempted? I'm very tempted. Yeah, really tempted. I was uh, I was picking up Hetty's prescription the other day at the uh, one of the hospitals here and there was a, a chap sitting in the, the waiting room with his... Um, Oh, what's it? Is, is the Z the fold? Yeah, the the, um, the fold three. I think it was a fold three or a two, and he was watching YouTube. I think it was YouTube where he, he was watching some kind of sport. Uh, and a great time. It looked really quite cool. He looked yeah. like he, you know, sometimes you do need to see people using these things in the wild to then go. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay, that could be quite useful. He was having a great time with it. That was very cool. So yeah, I am. I am a little bit more warmer to the concept. I think you know third generation now. You can still see the little bit of the fold, you know, a little bit in in the light, but it looks good. I think I could be persuaded. I went as far as the Samsung store and, um, you know, sort of filled in all the options and looked at the price, the, the monthly mm. price, and then decided that I was too locked into the Apple ecosystem to have a device, only one device that was on Android, and that I wouldn't be able to take full advantage of it because it would be excluded from doing so many of the things that I, I did on a regular right. basis. Right. And I wouldn't be able to move my whole life just for one device. So, so I think I'm <laughs> suffering some ecosystem lock-in. But I'm also kind of curious because this could be a meaningful differentiation between the Android platform and the Apple platform for a bit. I do think so. I think there's a strong reality of that. And if that yep. turns out to be really good, then, well, I'm, I'm not averse to Apple learning the hard way about product innovation. Yes. Okay, so there is some support coming in 12.1. So foldable devices look like they're here to stay. And certainly, Rafe, I think, the other thing that those notifications offered was better control over external screens as well, because these folding devices often have screens on the outside, and the one thing you want is nice, consistent display of notifications, widgets, and status indicators, and that needs platform support to be elegant. Absolutely, yeah. We haven't talked about it recently on this show, but I wanted to bring it up because I think it's sort of relevant to what we've talked about in the past. 
in our COVID episode, we talked about streaming services and this kind of thing. And in the UK, Sky TV has announced a new TV that is basically, well, the sales pitch is it does everything. And what they mean by everything Mm. is it doesn't need a satellite dish, which would normally be how you would get Sky TV in the UK through a roof or a, a shared access satellite dish and a receiver box that plugs into a television. This is just a internet connected device. It's a smart television on a platform that they've created, but crucially it streams all of its content, both live TV and apps for all the various streaming services that you might imagine. And it also then allows you to lease this television from Sky in a way that you and I think you've said many times in the past you wanted to. Been a big fan of this kind of stuff. So to have sort of hardware as a service, which is I don't want to go and have to pay £900 or even more for Hmm. a collection of fancy boxes to do these jobs, I'm happy to roll it up into a monthly subscription and then when I don't want the service anymore, take the TV and the service away at the same time. I suppose that's even more relevant for something that's tied intrinsically to the Sky service. But Sky's been doing that for a while though, right? With the set-top boxes. It's not new. It's bigger value, perhaps. But I thought this was really cool, but actually, yes, that was where I wanted to go with this, was in the UK, obviously Sky's, the precursor to this is called Now TV, which is the ability to watch live streaming TV on apps and on set-top boxes. And actually, to be honest, now on apps on smart TVs, the set-top boxes Mm. are a little bit redundant now because the apps and smart TVs will watch this. But I have to say, my experience of Now TV is bloody awful, that the streaming quality and reliability has been very poor. Mm. So Sky are going to have to very substantially up their game if that's going to replace satellite TV, which for its sins, once it's installed, delivers good, high-quality TV quite reliably to many millions of people, particularly in the UK, and no doubt elsewhere, you know, where people have cable services, it's the same kind of deal, that as long as you've got the cables into your property, you get quite a reliable service. Yes. So, Rafe, what's the thinking with Sky having their own platform here? That was the part that I couldn't quite understand. Why aren't they going big on making their service an app that you can install everywhere? Why are they integrating it into a piece of hardware? It's a good question. I think it's probably about simplicity of experience because ultimately you're kind of integrating everything. And you could say that kind of vertical integration is the approach that Apple have pioneered. And it's just Mm. make it easier for me. You spend, I think it's £800, well, there's actually various options because various sizes of the TV, and it just arrives. You basically have to plug it into your broadband, and it works. You know, very easy. You can get it the next day, and it will start working. And so the glass TV is definitely a move. I think there's a couple of things that are interesting for me, for Sky. It's like moving into the hardware space, making it very easy, and they do also sell a puck that you can then plug into another TV and have kind of multi-room, or you can just buy another glass TV. But they're also pushing on like the depth of the software integration. So they describe it as a voice-first device, and they expect you to go, hello, Sky, rather than building in Alexa or Google. So they are trying to own the complete experience. And it's probably easy for us to go, oh, I don't quite like that. I don't feel comfortable. For a lot of people, having that seamlessness of service on something. I think my parents would like this. It's really quite attractive. Yeah. And I yeah. quite admire yeah. the way that Sky approaching this because it would have been mm. easy for them to try and put a walled garden around their content as well. They have built in very much iPlayer, Netflix, Disney Plus, yeah. and all those streaming services. That would almost be unthinkable when Sky first launched, where it was kind of the walled garden, don't let anyone else in. And so it's this kind of one stop shop. And I admire the kind of, it is customer first thinking it's like what's the best possible yes. way we can make this 
easy for customers. And we may not be in the target market for this, but the idea you can go onto the Sky website, you buy the TV, it arrives the next day, you plug it in, and that is still a bit of a thing they probably need to work out, or it works on Wi-Fi and all of those things. And then it just works. There is an attractiveness about that. A lot of people will be wanting to choose their own TV, but the Sky interface has stepped forward. It's got faster. And of course, it's a really interesting answer to the you know, standalone smart TV. And so for me, this is more about being something that, you know, I kind of trip over, I'd like to choose my own TV. But for a lot of people, it's just the ease and simplicity. And we've seen that work time and time again. You know, quite often, it's not technically the most elegant thing that wins or the thing with the most features. It's the ones that the features that people want to use, in this case, access a lot of content and something that's just easy to set up. And whilst oftentimes the integrated products are inferior, this is a 4K TV with Dolby Vision, HDR, high speed, HDMI, everything. They've always been on the cutting edge of of tech. I mean, that's one thing Sky, you know, they pushed satellite, they pushed, you know, HD and 4K content. And so, you know, they've always been pretty good at that. And there's little things in here, like there is, it's USB-C, there's Ethernet. It does offer basic preview as well. There's Wi-Fi 6, Bluetooth 5. All the things have been got right from that technical spec, maybe apart from the panel itself. Hmm. Well, we'll see about the panel, but actually I was looking at the spec list and they've got Dolby Atmos and three speakers in there as well. So actually lots of people will buy a TV and then will buy a soundbar or something like that yeah. to achieve an improved audio experience. So this really is an all-in-one box. And again, actually maybe not to best in class, but actually to quite a good standard, to the standard that many people would be looking to buy. So I'm kind of curious because in one respect, the integration appeals because I'm afraid I've properly fallen out of love with, you know, kind of the the finickety pain of trying to hook everything up and make it all work and get it just tailored how I like. I'm rapidly becoming a grumpy old man who just wants it to just work. And this works nicely. I feel cautious about platform lock-in because I do it, but I do it consciously where it gives me value. You know, you tease me, you in about being an Apple fanboy, and mm, I know that it works. In many, it, it, well, but in many cases, it does limit my choice. But I have to consider the overall package, and overall, mm. it's better for me, even if in specific cases it is not the best in that particular yeah. instance. Well, a good example is there's no Apple TV, but there is still an HDMI thing. So if you want to plug in another one, you can. And so Sky, I think, have got the right balance here between being open, but also offering everything integrated. And for a lot of people, that will be attractive. Well, and a 65-inch TV for £21 a month over four years, it's actually quite an affordable way to get a very large TV. Mm -hmm. It's a nice way of paying up yeah but then do you own it once you've you know i haven't looked at the the basics yes you will do so that's just a paying off a finance agreement right but crucially if you're at the high end of sky's subscription plans an additional 20 pounds a month is not a big leap up many people are paying 50 60 70 pounds in the uk Mm. yes for high-end sky plans with sport or with movies and things included obviously you know 20 pounds is nothing but actually it's quite an accessible way to access a tv that then would potentially help them get even more value out of it by enjoying the experience, giving them a better software experience. And, Mm. you know, coupled with these devices, there's a whole bunch of integration with Microsoft talked about. We won't touch on it now, but effectively partnering with Microsoft for games and video conferencing and those sorts of things where the TV becomes a smart platform. And if it wasn't Microsoft, I would throw it in the bin straight away. 
but the fact that it would be Xbox platform and working with yeah. Zoom and those sorts of things, those are big, credible names that could make this useful. I'm really excited by it. I think it's great. Can you imagine if they have, you know, half a million customers, a million, five million customers? You know, I think it could be really good. And if you think about your parents, I think we are quite happy to, as you do, get fiddly, right? And I can see Hetty now and again getting really annoyed with the setup that we've got. We've got a Fire TV box, a so-and-so box, a WhatsApp box. You know, she just wants to watch TV, right? She wants to watch X. I don't want to ever have to discuss which HDMI channel a thing yeah, is. It was HDMI 6 on the other TV, not on this one. You know, oh, geez. So I can really see the benefit for other people in the family to say, look, hi, Dad, you want this one? Okay, look, don't worry about all that Apple. No, no, don't worry about that. Just, okay, yeah, phone them because you've already got the subscription. Tell them you want the 13 quid one or the 21 quid for the 65 inch. Right, cool. And then just plug it in. Or, or worst case, I'll come over, we'll plug it in, done, right? Yeah. Then you walk away and it just works. I think that's what they're offering and I think that user experience layer that they can provide and the financing, frankly. Uh, I think really compelling, potentially. I, I, good luck to them. Yeah. I like the innovation. And they'll have a refresh program as well. So I'm sure, exactly. At the end of life, no, it's, it's announced now that at the end of life, oh, there'll right, be yeah, a, right. a, an option to trade in the TV and upgrade it. Get another one. Yeah. Potentially, there's some driving consumer behavior that doesn't exist already. We don't tend to upgrade our TVs on a four or five yearly mm. cycle. Mm. I predict that there's going to be a privacy hoopla here as they yes. as people realize the amount of data that's being gathered about their viewing yes. habits and if you yes. add camera add-ons as is being touted here with the microsoft add-on pointing a camera at you you may not always want to have a camera pointed at you when you're in your lounge or watching tv you might not be you know sort of uh looking your best all the time yes but i think it's really interesting and i do like the integration so um yeah i'm waiting for it to launch to see whether we get one to give it a try Hmm. Anyways, we are running really long on this, but I thought that was really fascinating. I wanted to just do, we've got two minutes. Let's just do two minutes, quick fire updates on other stuff. I wanted to do one on homeworking tech. I think I said last time that I was really liking the Corsair Virtuoso headset, which was intended as a gaming headset, but because it used wireless technology that wasn't Bluetooth, it had a super wideband audio and Mm. was really nice and crisp, great for listening to music, but also great for getting the best quality audio into my video conferencing app, which then might downgrade it, but on the occasions it doesn't, and the downgrading depends on your network conditions and your recipient. It's really good. I've put it back in the box at the moment. I've moved on to a Sennheiser product, so I'm testing a Sennheiser 5066 DECT-based solution, which is the kind of thing you might see in a call center. Right. And I really really liking that because it has a bit more range i can walk around the house and stay connected in super wide band audio really really broad so i'll do a a proper talk about that in the future but just trying that out but for now if people are thinking of multi-use and can i use a gaming headset for work and can it be good quality yes it absolutely can but trying some sennheiser products uh, Rafe, have you bought anything <coughs> iPhone 13 recently? <laughs> yes, Ben. I have bought myself a new uh, headset. In my case, it was much more mundane, the Evolve 265 from Jabra. But it's the first Bluetooth one I've had of the kind of conference-style headset. It works fine. Fine being Jabra's marketing motto. Yeah, our products, they're fine. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for that. So I did get myself an iPhone 13 Pro. And for me, that was on a two-and-a-half-year upgrade cycle. And so... It's a substantial upgrade in the camera department, but it's also heavier than I was expecting. I've got used to that very quickly. But the thing I have noticed is the screen refresh rate. And it's one of those things, 
you don't know until you've tried it and mm. then having it you then switch back to an old device and go oh yeah i kind of see the difference now how much it would actually bother me wouldn't like to say but it is the lock into the apple ecosystem as well some of the stuff on apple tv the shows they've just started the foundation the isaac asimov series mm. that's kind of nice looked at and sort of been experimenting with apple fitness tell us more tell us more more in due course when i actually stick to it a little bit and have something to say okay but that watch combination yeah that's interesting as well mm. but it wasn't a revelatory upgrade for me but yes the camera is a is a definite upgrade and i've taken some pictures i wouldn't have been able to take before and so quiet thumbs Lots up puffins it sounds bad but actually one of the big things is the battery it noticeably does last longer Partly that's coming off a device that's got a slightly depleted battery, but there's now a thing where you can eke out two days if you're not using it very much, if you're traveling or something like that, and certainly get through a day with plenty left in the tank. So it's one of the things, yeah, glad I upgraded. It was worth it for me, but they are much more incremental upgrades than some of the, maybe if you go back three or four Big years, Big and time. you have to decide whether that's worth it for you or not. I went Pro Not Max this year. I like the smaller size. It's working well for me. Uh, thinking I probably should have changed sooner rather than later, but feeling a bit sad that I kind of don't feel special now. I've just got the phone, you know, the same size as everyone else. <laughs> Can you stand at the back, please? But ignore what the specs say. I feel that I am getting better photos out of the iPhone 13. Maybe not technically, you know, sort of pixel peeping uh, better photos, but I'm finding it easier to shoot the photos that I want to shoot and I'm getting more output that I'm happy with. That okay. may be biased. That may be just because I've bought the new thing, but I've, I'm looking at my photo library just the other day and days out are yielding more photos in tricky situations where stuff's working. We went to a theme park, stuff was moving, children were all over the place, and I was getting more shots with the right things in focus and the right balance of in tricky lighting conditions because it's a not max uh, no not because it's a not max because i think of the uh, camera upgrades in the oh, 13 see, right, right, but right, the point right. is so, that yeah. 13 is better yeah this is the first time i've been able to get the best camera without the max because normally you get the oh, max because right, it has yes, yes. the best the camera best, system yes. and it, with you know even yeah. the normal sized pro doesn't have you know the, the best camera system but this year it's one of those rare years where all cameras on the pro models are equal. Have you got one yet, Ian? Yeah, yeah, I got one same time as you guys. I was very annoyed because I didn't order a case. I didn't check. Then, of course, I, I tried to take the case out of the old one, the 12. And, oh, jeez, yeah, yeah. Obviously, you have to pay another £50 for the case. Just felt a bit annoying. But, yeah, I've done it. And I'm satisfied. Don't know if you need it. Need it. There you go. There's my glowing review. It's all right. Yeah. Grand, yeah, that's the insight people listen to. Yeah. <laughs> so it's a bit, it's just a bit nicer, isn't it? A bit nicer in combination with the new iOS 15 is nicer. Yeah. Yeah. But again, upgrade programs make it slightly less painful than it would have been in the past. You feel like you're not being rinsed every year or every two years. Well, I don't know. I think I was rinsed. Yeah. Thanks very much. I think I'm now, we'll talk about this in a future episode, but I think I'm now at the point to recommend to most people that they keep an iPhone for two or three years, even people who, mm. you know, for whom good cameras and high specs matter, I am seeing a difference between my usage of the 12 and the 13, but I'm not sure it's a thousand pounds worth of spend difference, you know, in terms of, actually, no, let me correct myself. I don't think that's about 600 pounds worth of difference if I look at the depreciation on mm. the old mm. phone after a year's worth of use. So I think uh, we'll retouch on that again in the future. A little tiny question before we close. Do you use screen protectors? No. 
right now. Okay, because I was totally with you uh, as well. And then I moved to a man, and everyone, there's a whole industry. Literally, when you go to the mall, there are lots of little shops and concession stands where they will put on screen protectors for your phones. Now, historically, I think you're, you're immediate, no, no, no. And I can see Rafe going, no. I think that's historically because they've been very poor quality. Now, I happen to be in Gadgets or Man, my favorite, favorite gadget store, because you just WhatsApp and they, and they bring stuff to you. But they also have shops, and we just happened to be in the actual shop. And we got the iPhone 12. I'd had them delivered via Gadgets or Man. Very good. And then we happened to be in the shop, and the guy said, oh, you need the covers. And by the way, do you want a protective screen? And I said, no, no, no. And then Hetty said, no, no, let's, let's, let's get one. Let's get one. Okay, you get one. And then I thought, oh, fine. Okay, give me one. It was, I think, six quid. And the guy installed it. And it, you couldn't really tell the difference. Well, I felt I could tell the difference, right? Anyway, now, then Hetty does what she normally does and cracks the phone, right? And lo and behold, she didn't crack the phone, okay? She cracked the four-pound piece of plastic. She dropped the phone, it smashed the screen, you know. So for a month or two, she was using it. And I said, oh, no, not again, because that's the second iPhone that she nailed, iPhone 12, in a year. And we'd put this thing on it. And then when it came to upgrade, we bought the new phone. I thought, yeah, I'll just, I'll just, I took the little plastic thing off. And goodness me, the screen's perfectly fine. So I am converted. <laughs> converted, thank you very much. So we were able to sell that phone for a proper amount of money. These little screen protectors are really fantastic. Really impressive. I just... Okay. I just wanted to put it out there. I know that you... I also thought it was nonsense. I don't think it's nonsense. I just never have ended the year with even scratches I could notice on my really? phone screen, let well, alone... I was scratches. I do my level best to try and avoid these scratches. Yeah. But I always get some scratch across them. Yeah, it really annoys me. So I've actually... I've got that on my new iPhone. I've got that. I installed it myself during the, the natural disaster, actually. And uh, we're all locked away. Do you think it says anything about Ben and Ewan's contrasting approaches to life, careful and considerate, versus some other adjectives? Oh, uh, and that might extend to how you treat your phones. I mean, I'm, it's just a speculation. Oh, come on. What, you don't have any scratches on your phone? How do you avoid that? Do you keep it in a little sock or something? Just don't put it in pockets with things to scratch it. What? I suspect probably there would be micro scratches on it at the end yeah. of the, the year. But I mean, I would have to hold it up to the light and look. Right. Actually, I've just done this because I've just returned to my 12 Pro Max, which I've sent back yes. to Apple to do with the trade-in, as Rafe said. And, you know, they ask you to check it and say, is there any damage and, you know, to give you the price. And so I gave it a look over and no, there's not. Now, I have seen people commenting that they weren't as happy with the Gorilla Glass this year and that they have found it easier to scratch than Apple's marketing would lead them to believe. So I don't think probably I'm a very demanding customer in that regard in much as I am, oh, I don't I have am that quite problem. careful. But I've got my four pound piece of plastic on top, you know. And if that gets ruined, you know, that gets scratched with keys or something, fantastic. I'll buy another four pound. If you want to spoil all the work of the Gorilla Glass Corporation, who spent years creating this beautiful glass experience. Rubbish. Okay. No, hold on a minute. Wait, 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 wait. I've got plenty of iPhones. I've got Gorilla Glass, the latest, 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 and they are not amazing, I have to say, right? Because Hetty keeps dropping the phone, and it doesn't matter how amazing Gorilla Glass it is, it keeps cracking. And now I put a four-pound piece of plastic on top of it. She drops it again, catastrophic. I get, ah, oh, oh no, it's only the four-pound piece of plastic that's a problem. Fantastic. Sold. I've got it on my S21 as well. I'm pleased to you. Just my face is having I'm trouble. Just, okay, have an open mind. So that's us done. We're out of time. I didn't get time to tell you about my home automation. So I've actually 
been in contact with the guy who writes the Home Assistant plugin for Lightwave RF. Wow. Okay. And he's made some changes for me. For you? Well, he's made some changes that I suggested. Wow. And so I'm getting some better value out of that. That's fantastic. We're not going to have time to talk about Lightwave Plus, which is a new subscription service that Lightwave run. Oh, all right. Very nice. Again, it'll be interesting if you're in the UK. I'm still not totally in love with Lightwave, but it's a platform that's here and I think it's worth talking about. We're not going to talk about the Android tablet that I have bought. Here's what you could have won. Okay, yeah. I have a enterprise tablet now, which is basically, it doesn't work on batteries. It only works on plugged in. Okay. And it's intended to be a video conferencing device. So it's Android, but it's portrait, but it's really got a camera in and it's intended right. for it to be a desktop video conferencing. So you right. install Teams or Zoom or something on there as the Android app. Right. But it makes a brilliant dashboard. You know, just load up a browser in there and it makes a brilliant home automation dashboard. I've got lots of buttons and things. I can turn on my lights and everything on and off from a nice little dashboard on my desk that looks like a picture frame. So we won't talk about that, but we will come back to that in a future season. And there was one more that I have completely forgotten. Oh, yes, we haven't had time to talk about Stream Deck, but I have been using Stream Deck absolutely loads to automate my stuff at home on my computer. And I haven't got time to talk about that, but we will in the future. So loads of home automation stuff coming nice yeah uh, you mcleod is just wiping his brow with his blanford estates tea towel still a bit hot here which we're all still very very attached to yeah love it so gentlemen that is sort of the end of season 20 no it's not wait, what oh because we're on the christmas one well because we're going to do this christmas special but that's the end of the normal content of season 20 okay and next time we'll come back to you with suggestions for gifts and things to get for Christmas and indeed things you could try out during the Christmas break. We're going to be organised, right? You know, ahead of time now. Ahead of time. Be super organised. This Christmas, after last Christmas and the poor planning, I had loads of time on my hands because of the whole pandemic thing, but I didn't have my projects lined up. I didn't have in my head the things I wanted to try in my downtime. Right. So I wasn't sorted. This time I have got Zigbee sensors. I've got lights. I've got home automation stuff. I'm going to go in a room and write myself some automations. It's going to be like Christmas. It's going to be Christmas for everyone because I'm going to leave the room and everyone else will get some time off. (laughs) So yeah, we'll come back next episode and help you with your potential Christmas activities slash gift giving. And then we'll be back in 2022 with our next season. So gentlemen, thank you very much for your time this evening. Thank you. Lots of love. Thank you. And thank you to everyone who supports us. If you'd like to support the show, you can go to 361podcast.com slash support to support us on Patreon. If you'd like to write in as Kieran did, go to 361podcast.com where you can send us a message, either leave a comment on the show or email us directly as Kieran chose to. Or you can find us on Twitter at 361podcast if you'd like to abuse you and there. <laughs> Thank you very much and we will be back in a fortnight. Bye-bye. Rafe, did I tell you I just got sacked from my job as a clown? I'm sorry to hear that, Ben. Yeah, I went on stage with only one half of my face painted and not everyone saw the funny side. Uh, that's great. Very oh good. dear, tragic. Mm. Also quite funny. Mm. To be honest, I always knew I'd never be able to replace my predecessor. They were big shoes to fill. Yeah. Uh, oh dear. No? Yeah, quite good. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Yeah. No? No, carry on. That's great. Thanks for that. Yeah. Dungbeater walks into a bar, says, is this still taken? Uh, that's good. That's, that's good. good. I like that yeah, one. Yeah. 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 Okay, fair enough. Uh... Recapping topics from earlier in this season, touching on smart home, smart home security, 15-minute delivery, and and the Astro, and Amazon's new robot, home robot. That's covered by smart home security. Oh, okay.
I think we'll buy one. If we can if we can get one, we'll buy one. I think that might be a step too far for the Smith household. I think dystopian flying robot drones probably is as far as Mrs. Smith's going to let me go. I've got a space earmarks on top of our fridge where the dystopian robot drone can live. I like the idea of that. Yeah, I quite fancy one for the estate. Go through the long haul. When what the range is. Right then. Probably have to extend the mesh network to the stables. <laughs> and the third pond. Do the intro. Let's get this over. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to 361, a podcast about mobile tech and the world around it. Episode 9, and this week we're recapping topics from earlier in the season, touching on smart home security, 15-minute delivery, and Sky's new glass TV. Right, now just make some, pick some bone in that so that he doesn't actually get a zero take. I mean, it's a nice rehearsal. I think it's good to have read the scripts, but now we should perform the scripts by giving it some energy. Essentially, say it as if you've enjoyed the process of recording the show <laughs> or that you anticipate somebody else might enjoy the process of listening to it. In your defence, Rafe, I thought you did a nice job. <laughs> Creep. <laughs> I'll wait for him to say that. <laughs> that Ben guy's really horrible. Playing to type. <laughs> Look, he just had an air of take this medicine, you know? Yeah. Right. Three, two, oh. one. Stop. <laughs> <laughs>